Lord, we are humbled by the reality that you have given us your word. And yet, Lord, we have great responsibility because of that to, uh, to learn from you and to be guided, Lord, by this word that you've revealed to us. So, Lord, this morning, even as we, as we deal with a, a hard passage, would you give us strength? Would you give us wisdom? Would you give us humility to embrace what you are teaching us so that we can live in a way, Lord, that would um, reflect who we are in Christ. And Lord, I ask that today that, that your messenger would simply be the mouthpiece for your text, Lord, that, that we would see life, uh, Lord, that comes through the word, Lord, through the messenger this morning. Lord, this is, this is for you and for your glory. We ask this in your precious holy name, amen. Thank you, you may be seated. So if you are visiting with us or you've been here just a few weeks, um, I just want to re- just remind you or let you know that we are uh, steadily working our way through the book of Ephesians. And it's really important for, for you to, to know um, why we're doing that and why we are in this passage. Um, it's, it's, it's our conviction that we need to study God's word as it has been written, so to speak, and going through a book of the Bible um, is really critical to our understanding of, of what that, that, that scripture is saying. It's very easy to, to come to a passage and just pull a text out of its context and really not understand everything that's going on. So we're in the book of Ephesians. And verses, or it's like chapters one through three of Ephesians are primarily, this is what God has done for you. And this is how he's done it. All right? He says, I called you before the foundations of the world. In other words, before the world was even created, he had already determined to draw us to himself for salvation. It's very humbling. Um, It's very confusing, um, the whole concept of predestination. But he also says you've been adopted and you have an inheritance and and you have been redeemed and you are brought into the, the family of God. Chapter two, he talks about us being his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. And then he tells us that we are this church, this new man, where the Gentiles and Jews are are brought together. And just, he goes on and says, this is what it looks like to be in Christ. You are in Christ if you are a child of God. Then we go to chapter four and verse one. And he says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, entreat you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. And so we move from this whole idea of this is who you are in Christ to this is how you are to live because this is who you are in Christ. In other words, the fact of who you are has now impetus in how you live. I tell my children, you are Phillips, therefore this is how Phillips do certain things and you probably insert your name. Who you are is the basis for how you are to live. And so we can go through chapters one through three and say, wow, that's cool. Wow, that's really helpful. Wow, that is awesome. 
But when we get to chapters four, five, and six, um, the message gets a little tougher for us. Because now, he's saying it's not just who you are, but because of that, you must. And he starts giving these imperatives, these commands, these instructions that flow out of our position in Christ. And you will see in the book of Ephesians this, this theme of in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, throughout of it. And in particular now, as we go through these last few chapters, we're looking at the subject of how do we then walk or live because we are in Christ. And so that's why we are where we're at, and we've gone through chapter 5 and verse 7, and today we're picking up at chapter 5, verse 8, as the beginning of our text. But I would like to do something a little different this morning. I would like for us to get our Bibles and go right to the beginning, because I believe the text that we're in today finds its root and finds its source from the beginning of the Bible, and that would be Genesis chapter 1. And we're going to begin reading there and uh, start by reading verses 1 through 5. So Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Here's how God's word starts as we open up in Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light. And there was light, and God saw the light, and it was good. And God separated the light from darkness. God called light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. So God created light saw it and said it was good. God separated the light from the darkness, creating night and day. Let's continue reading now at verse 14. And God said, let there be lights, plural, in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give a light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made The two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, which of course is what? The sun, and the lesser light to rule the night, which would be the moon, and then of course the stars. So on the fourth day, God created lights in the heavens, the sun, the moon, the stars. They light up the earth during the day and at night. And we continue on in verse 17. And God said, set them in the expanse of the heavens, get this now, to give light to the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. So it is these lights that give humanity the ability to move around. The sun for the day allows man to get around during the day. All right, the light And the stars at night, the moon at night, help people to get around even during at night. You ever gone out on a night where there is no moon? It's really, really dark. Well, maybe not here in the Bay Area, okay? But it is really, really dark. But they're there to separate the light from the darkness. Now, we in our wealthy westernized cities and suburbs have become accustomed to artificial light. 
and we're really not any more dependent on or guided by God's natural light. When we were in Samaipata about a week or so ago, we're out in the, you know, out in the hills of Bolivia, and it's nighttime. And it's just beautiful to go and step outside because you have this expanse of darkness, but in the midst of that darkness, the, the stars just twinkle. I mean, they, they shine. It's just beautiful. And I remember going camping a couple of years ago with the, uh, with the Brights, and I remember laying down on one of these camping um, recliner things and uh, just out in the middle of nowhere, right by Yosemite, just looking up into the, into the expanse of heaven and just how, how bright the stars are. And for me, it was just a wonderful, uh, picturesque display of God's beauty. But the reality is that for years, this, this idea of, of light or the presence of light was a means by which mankind could be guided both at day and at night for journeys, for direction on land and on sea. I mean, the sky was the means by which, I mean, it was our GPS, right? It was our Google Maps. You didn't have to pull a phone out. You just looked up into the sky. But we don't teach people, hey, listen, you know, study the stars so you can figure out where you are. We don't do that anymore. We just say, all right, you know, do you have the app, right? And it tells you, you know, Siri, where am I, right? So things have changed somewhat, but... The fact that they've changed should not then diminish our ability to understand the importance of light in the context of darkness. Now this theme of light and darkness is one that both Jesus and the apostles used to teach us about our relationship with God. So let's go to John chapter 1 now. John chapter 1. Again, another familiar passage. We began our services this morning with it. John chapter one, verses one through five. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So this goes back to creation. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him, talking about the word, and that word, of course, is Jesus, was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And so there's this this going back to creation and showing this light now that has this application, I would say spiritual application to mankind, where Jesus now is this light who's shining in the darkness. And so later as Jesus is responding to his disciples who are worried because he wants to go back to Judea and they're like, no, don't go there because they'll stone you. This is in the context of of Lazarus being dead in the tomb. Here's what Jesus says to them, John chapter 11, verses nine and 10. And Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, He does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because light is not on him. Jesus was not giving counsel here about, you know what, it's better to journey during the day. He he is taking a reality of creation and he's painting a spiritual picture with this whole concept of light and darkness. There's day, there's night, and in the day there's light, and at nighttime there is darkness. 
And so we, we have these two concepts then laid out for us. So now as we turn to the book of Ephesians, and Paul comes along and he uses the same metaphor to describe how Christians ought to walk. There's both light and darkness. In verses three through seven of chapter five, we have this picture of darkness. He describes the darkness in the following ways. Sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness, filthiness, foolish talk, crude joking. This is the darkness. And this is what he says, should not be named among you. It is improper for Christians who are the light to uh, behave in such a way. And so he stresses that there will be those who want to deceive those who are the light with empty words to think that there is freedom in their following Christ to act and behave like those who are darkness. The activities of darkness are out of place, he says, for those who are in Christ. And these activities are the reason that he says that Christ's wrath will be poured out on those who reject him. Now friends, that, that was not an easy message to preach. It was not an easy passage to read. But it's God's truth given to his church and ultimately to us so that we can know him better and so that we can live for him out of our union with him. We are called now to walk as children of light. So Paul lays out this command. Look at verse seven of this passage. Therefore, do not become partners with them. That means don't be united with them. Don't share in their behavior, referring back to that list that I just read. God has not called his workmanship, he's not called this new man, his church, to be partners with those who walk in darkness. Now this is not a call for monastic living. This is not saying, listen, you know, don't be a part of darkness, you know, go out to the mountains and create your own little commune. Because I'll tell you what, if you do that, you're taking the darkness with you. Okay? And it, it also does not mean create some kind of a Christian subculture bubble that says, I don't even want to interact with people that are unbelievers. Have fun going to McDonald's, the grocery store, all that kind of stuff. God has called us to live in this world, but not to be of this world. He's called us to live out our lives in the context of the darkness, but not necessarily to be the darkness. And there's a huge difference there. God's call is to be separated in living and lifestyle from those who are not following God. Now notice verse eight, because this is so critically important. Not only is Jesus light, not only does he then enlighten us through our salvation by giving us the ministry of the Holy Spirit, he gives us eyes to see, but now notice what it says in verse eight. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are the light, or are light, I should say, in the Lord. Now that's powerful. It's not saying just walk in the light. He's saying you are light. Now of course this is a metaphor. 
And Paul has been using metaphors to describe uh, the, the followers of Christ throughout this book. If you go back to chapter 2, we find just the, the echo really in chapter 2 is found in chapter 5. In chapter 2, the, the, the metaphor is not darkness and light, it's death and life. You are dead in your trespasses and sins. But God, verse 4 of chapter 2, made us alive together with him. All right, so you have this idea of you were deaf. You were deaf, which would be the same thing as saying you were darkness. But because of God, you are now alive, or now, in this new metaphor, you are light. So you take these two metaphors, death and life, is the metaphor Paul uses in chapter 2. Darkness and life is the metaphor in 5.8. Because of our union with Christ, we are no longer dead, but alive in Christ. And because of our union with Christ, we are no longer darkness, but we're light in the Lord. Saying the same thing with a different metaphor here, but the metaphor helps us understand our role and our function as we are living in as children in a context where there is darkness. So this morning we need to see that Paul is pushing home an important application for his Ephesian believers and ultimately for us and it's an application that we must take notice of and here ultimately is um, what I'm calling the proposition of this passage. Paul is challenging us and the Ephesian believers to be children of light in the context of darkness. How are we to live in this world that is marked by sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness, crude joking, and so on and so forth. We are to be children of light. So this is a challenge for us to think, to speak, to behave in a manner that is consistent with being a child of God or in this case, a child of light. Now, friends, this is not a walk in the park, all right? It will require some deliberate choices and some great effort on the part of God's children. In fact, the context of of this passage, um, if you look at verse 15, reminds us that it will take great wisdom to fend off the empty words of those who wish to deceive us. Now, I'm reminded of a well-known Kermit the Frog song. You say, where did that come from? It's not easy being green. It's not easy being a child of light. It's not easy being a child of God. Now, if in our evangelistic endeavors, we're painting the picture that all you have to do is come to Jesus and everything will be okay, let me caution you to change your methodology because that is not reality. In fact, it is much more difficult being a child of light because the darkness does not like it. And the darkness challenges it. And the darkness mocks it. And the darkness hates it but it is what God has called us to. So it's not easy being green, it's not easy being a child of light, but it comes with responsibilities and convictions that may not be popular, 
but are an outgrowth of our union with Christ. So let's read our text again, verse eight, halfway through verse eight through verse 14. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them, for it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible, for anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Let's just pause for a moment and just ask for God's help. Lord, we, we are so thankful that, that you and your love and your kindness to us would give us your word. Now, Lord, may, may we be teachable. May we be humble. May we be willing to take what you are saying, although it may be difficult and hard. And Lord, may it be a, a source of strength and, and vitality for us as we seek to be conformed to you, as we seek to grow in Christ. And Lord, I recognize there may be some people here this morning that aren't even followers of you. Lord, they're not even children of light. They're children of darkness who think that they're children of light. Or maybe they're children of darkness who know that they're darkness. And Lord, I just ask that, that your truth, your gospel, Lord, that the strength that comes through your word would come and impact us now so that we can be what you've called us to be. We ask in your precious holy name, amen. So the, the structure of this passage basically are two instructions followed by a proverb or a saying. So we're gonna look at the first means of instruction. All right, children of light are called to intentional living. Intentional living. This is what you should be doing. If you're a child of God, he's saying, this is what I want you to be about. Look now, if you would please, at verses eight through 10. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. First of all, we are called to walk as children of light. Now, Donald Gray Barnhouse um, was just really gifted in his illustrations, and I think, I think how he illustrated this passage is really helpful for us. He explained it this way. When Christ was in the world, he was like the shining sun. When the sun sets, the moon comes up. The moon is a picture of believers, the church. The church shines, but not with its own light. It shines with reflected light that comes from Christ. Now just think about that image. The light that you reflect is not your own light. It is light that is the light of Christ. But he's placed us in the midst of darkness. And in the midst of darkness, we are reflecting his light. Okay? But at times, the light is bold and shining brightly into the darkness of this world. At other times, the light is just a thumbnail giving off minimal light. Either way, it is Christ that is shining. The light doesn't originate with us. 
Okay? So there is a walk that is a reflection of the change that has taken place in us because of Christ. Now Paul describes it in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. If you would turn there, please. This is such a, an important passage of scripture. 1 Corinthians 6, um, and we'll begin at verse 9. And he's speaking to a, a church that is just really immature and um, is struggling with all sorts of sinfulness. And here's what he says. Or do you not know that the unrighteousness or the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And you could, you could use that as another list, just like Paul has used here in Ephesians to describe this is what darkness looks like. And it says, such were some of you. Again, Paul is saying, you once were darkness, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So at the moment of your conversion, three things happened. You were washed from the sin that defiled you. You were sanctified, made holy in God's sight, and you were justified. You were declared righteous with God. And so Paul is describing now them as new creatures created in Christ Jesus for good works. What happens when children of light um, walk in a manner that reflects their, their new nature and their union with the Lord is that they will bear fruit. When you're walking in this light, as children of the light, there will be fruit. Now, you know, he, if you're an English teacher, I'm sorry about Paul because he mixes metaphors here. I've never seen light bear fruit. But, maybe it would be helpful for you to think of light going through a prism. And if light is going through a prism, what happens? You could, in theory, say it's bearing fruit, right? It's, it's the, the various dynamics of that prism show all this beautiful light. So there is fruit now that is produced by the light. And notice what it is. All that is good, all that is right, all that is true. Now, Paul could give a more exhaustive list here, but he's, he's simply reflecting things that he's already talked about in his little letter here. Look at chapter 2 and verse 10. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Well, all that is good. Look at chapter 4, verse 24. All right, created in the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Again, all that is right, all that is that is a right reflection or in right standing with God. All that is true. Look at chapter 4, verse 15. Speaking the truth in love. Or verse 21. Taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Or 425. Put away falsehood, but speak the truth. So when we are walking as children of light, we are bearing fruit. And that fruit then has rippling effects. So the call here, first of all, is not just to walk, 
but to walk in a certain way. Well, let's go back again to chapter 4 and see what we've seen so far. Chapter 4, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, entreat you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. This sounds pretty, pretty similar, doesn't it? All right? Your walk should reflect your calling. Okay? Then in verse 17, this I say therefore and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their minds, being darkened in their understanding. And goes on. Ah, so there's a walk then that is the result of darkness. Don't want to walk that way. But now, we're, we're coming down to chapter 5 and verse 1. It says, be, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. And now, in chapter uh, 5 and verse 8, for you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk. And that is a walk that is continual as children of light. This is what we're supposed to be doing. This should be intentional. So when we get up in the morning, our thoughts should be, God has called me as his child to be light and therefore to walk in, in this light as a child of that light. In other words, my, my lifestyle, my behavior, my, my, my we'll say weather vane should be to go down this path that God has called me to walk that is a reflection of my union with him. My, my, my walk should not be a reflection of my desires. It should be a reflection of his desires revealed to me through his word. That's what he's calling us to, to this kind of walk. To walk as children of light, then, is not to walk as children of darkness. We're light. We're not darkness. But listen, darkness wants the light to diminish its brightness. It wants to diminish the light so that its conscience can be eased. But we're called to walk as children of light, and, and that requires some work on our part. And so what we're called to next then is to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. I, I do think the ESV has taken a little bit liberty here by putting the words, and try to discern, because the whole idea of try to is not in the Greek text. I think they're, they're trying to say, you know, use some effort to get there. But literally it says, discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Don't just try. You know, there's that, that cultural, well, I'm trying, which means, you know what, don't give me any flack. Because I, I put out just a little bit of effort, okay? No, um, we're, not, we're not asking here for trying. We're asking you to actually do this. If we are children of light, he's saying now what you need to do is to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. And the idea of discernment now means to examine, to verify, to test, to accept the results. It's a word that was used to describe the examination of metals to discern whether or not they were full of impurities or not to prove that they were genuine. But in chapter 4, verse 20, Paul reminds them, listen, you've already learned Christ. This is, this is something that's already been established. It's already clear that you are God's children. But now he's saying, discern what kind of behavior, what kind of thinking, what kind of words please Christ. And friends, that is just a daily um, call for us. 
to, to begin to, to build our awareness of what actually pleases the Lord. Now this word group of discerning is found elsewhere in Paul's writings. You don't have to turn there, but Romans 12, 2. Um, as you see it up on the screen there, do not be conformed to this world. Again, that's the darkness. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Sounds similar? Okay. So he's calling us to be people that are discerning, that we're thinking, that we're careful, that we're examining, we're verifying, that we're testing. And what is it that is the means by which we discern or that we test or that we examine? Of course, it is the word of God. Philippians chapter one, verse 10, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Again, same idea, this, this discerning word. So this is the ongoing and never-ending pursuit of the believer. You are to walk in the light, seeking to discern what pleases the Lord. This day-by-day discernment. But the question is then, do you care what God says pleases him? It's one thing to say walk in the light, but do you actually even care? I mean, I think sometimes... There are some, some followers of Christ that just kind of come to the place, well, you know, I'm in Christ, I'm getting to heaven, and I'll go through the routines and I'll be a part of church, I enjoy worship and the fellowship and all those kind of things, but do I really care about what pleases the Lord? And, and the answer to that question reveals a lot about where you are. Is it a priority in your life that your decisions, your choices, your thoughts, your words and behavior are all flowing out of a desire to please God in all you do. Now we're not talking here about trying to win brownie points. We're not saying, God, I wanna please you to somehow step up in favor because that's not gonna work, okay? Because you are as holy now as you will ever be as far as because of what Christ has done. But, but we still have this attitude of, of pleasing that, that is part of God's God's uh, motivation for our living. We want to honor him. So when God says don't do something, don't steal, don't lie, don't get angry, don't unite with darkness, are you willing to please him by being obedient to his word? It's a hard question. What's the answer? When God says do something, trust me, learn from me, believe me, are you willing to please him by being obedient to his word? Now, if you're walking as children of light, discerning what pleases the Lord, then you are sensitive to say, if God says, don't, I won't. And if God says, do, I will. And we still struggle with our fears and all those different things, but that's where we want to be. There are times in life when it appears that doing what pleases God runs totally contrary to how we feel. Anyone here ever, you don't have to raise your hand, right? So just this kind of rhetorical me raising my hand. Anyone here ever get angry with your spouse? That's why I said don't raise your hand, okay? (laughs) So you're like, you know what? I'm angry and I know I should get right with them, but I don't feel like it. In fact, I like my anger right now. 
going to nurse it a little bit. going to milk it for a little bit, right? As opposed to doing what you know God is calling you to do. And friends, this, this is the point here. There are times in life when it appears that doing what pleases God runs totally contrary to how we feel. We may feel so justified in our position, in that relationship, in that anger, in that offense, that we're behaving in a way that, that is right, and it hinders us from walking as light. And it hinders our ability to discern what pleases the Lord because we begin to throw in justifications and rationalizations. I feel justified in my anger toward that person or I feel like I have to have that one thing or, or, or that one person in my life that you will throw away all that God says for your benefit, for your health, because it just feels too difficult to do what God wants you to do. But friends, seeking to please God requires great effort and we must be eager to be discerning and we must fight through those feelings that we have. They're real and sometimes they're complex. But God says, walk in the light as discerning children who are seeking to please me for a reason. He doesn't say it to be some tyrant up there. He says it for our benefit. He says it because he is a wise father who really does know what is best. And he cares about his children. I mean, he cares so much about his children that he gave his son to die for those children so that they could have life and they could be a part of his family. So as light, we want to listen. We want to be discerning. We want to be pleasing to him. So in order to be discerning, we, we must be people of the book. The word of God must become central in our lives to the point that we are reading it for the purpose of being guided by our Lord Jesus Christ to do his will. See, there's a sense in which Jesus is the light and has given us his word like the stars in the sky that help us navigate through this life. We're in the midst of darkness and we need help and we have this ability to, to, to discern, oh, there's that and I can go here and, and, and his, his word feeds and guides us and helps us on that journey. Sinclair Ferguson is helpful here. He says, the life of discernment is a word-focused and word-directed life which develops from a word-saturated mind. Let me say that again. The life of discernment is a word-focused and word-directed life which develops from a word-saturated mind. You and I will not have discernment unless we are under the word of God. Unless we are marinating in the word of God. It is critical to what we are called to be. So children of light who are intentional in their living determined to walk in a way that reflects the light of Christ to the world that bears fruit for all to see. They are also called to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. That's intentional living. That's the first call. Now let's look at the second call. The second call is a call to influential living. 
He's not just called us to live our lives, but he's called us to live our lives in a context, and in a context of darkness, where there, there is a struggle now for influence. There's a struggle now for who's actually going to win out as far as you know, the behavior and the, and the thoughts and the words and the lifestyle. And so first of all, under this heading, we're called to avoid something. It says, verse 11, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. The idea of take no part is just the same as what we found in chapter 5 and verse 7. Do not be partners or partakers with them. We are not to share with the darkness. We are not to uh, uh, participate with the darkness. We're not to be united, you might want to say, with that darkness in their unfruitful works. Now, just want to pause here and say something. This is strong language, right? Darkness, light. I want to be careful here. I want to be careful that if, if, if someone is, is identified as an unbeliever, they are in the category of being darkness does not mean that they are evil, nasty, wicked people. We were waiting in Bolivia for the road to be cleared. Um, these big, huge boulders, you may have seen them on the blog. Two hours we just sat there and we're like, oh, what are we going to do? We're going we're to go watch, right? And as we were watching, um, I noticed a car and there was a guy who was reading his Bible and he was Anglo, so he kind of stood out like me. And so after a little bit, I went up to him and just introduced myself and started talking with him. Turns out he's Jehovah's Witness. Okay? Talked to him and he said, oh, we're doing the same thing you're doing here. I was like, well, not exactly quite the, you know, but, um, but, we started talking about different things, and he was a really nice guy. And his wife was really, really nice, and Rebecca was talking with her, all right? Those who reject God are not always running around, I hate God, I hate God, right? But they're, they're, they're nice people, but they're darkness, and they're dead, needing life, needing light, and it's important that we say that here, okay? It's really important to recognize here because it says take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. God has called us not to unite with darkness. Not to join together with darkness. This is saying it negatively. Don't be drawn by the unfruitful works of darkness. Instead, through walking as light, and discerning what pleases the Lord, make sure that you're not taking part, that you're not sharing, that you're not partnering with this darkness. So there is this fruit of light compared to this fruit of darkness. The, the fruit of light is what is good and right and true. The fruit of darkness is what we saw earlier, which would be the immorality, impurity, covetousness, and, on, and ongoing, okay? This is not, again, a call to monastic living or some kind of a Christian bubble, but, but it is a call that these unfruitful works should not be named among us, should not characterize us, and that we should not be trying to join light and darkness at all. Now, light and darkness are to remain separate, but as we will see, it is the light that must impact the darkness. So it's a call to avoid being drawn into the light and its thinking, its lifestyle, and partnering with it, okay? Secondly, it is a call to expose. It is a call to expose. 
So how do we influence then the darkness? Well, we avoid the darkness. We don't allow it to influence us. Secondly, it's a call to expose. But instead, expose them. Now, I want to be careful here. This does not mean we're going around, you know, like an, like an army, just, you know, you're sinning, you're sinning, you're sinning, you're this, you're that. That's not what it's talking about here, okay? For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. How are the unfruitful works of darkness to be exposed? Well, look at chapter 4 and verse 2. What is our demeanor? What is our behavior to be like? We are to be people that are marked with humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love. Look at chapter five, verse four. In the context of all these characteristics of darkness, what does Paul say? But instead, let there be thanksgiving. Now friends, there's something unique about God's children who are light and how they live. When they live to please the Lord, they are marked by character that is contrary to the darkness around them. They're marked by spiritual realities that affect how they live and how they relate to the world um, that is unique and is very attractive. And so this is a call for the light that is doing its job. Christian living highlights the sin of the world. It is godly engagement that is called for here, not some kind of religious withdrawal. We're called to be in the world, but not of it. In other words, we're called to live our lives in the darkness by being light that exposes sin for what it is. It will be a natural outflow of our character, of, of our convictions, of our decisions, of, of, of our carefulness that will cause the world to say, why is this a problem? Why are you concerned about this? To ask questions, why do you not do these things? Well, we know the Christians, they don't do this, and they don't do this. Why? Let's turn that around. When you have someone who's prominent in Christian culture, let's say a pastor, and he's caught lying or committing immorality, What does that say to the darkness? You're just like us. Why don't you just get over yourselves and enjoy life like we want to enjoy it? Okay? There's a hypocrisy that is seen there. But when there is genuine Christ-like living, I don't mean perfect living, and Paul's not talking about perfect living because he identifies this idea of growing to be like Jesus Christ in chapter four, but he's talking about a life that is marked with a direction that is walking in the light, discerning to please the Lord, that is not affected by the darkness around them to the point that they are diminishing as light, but they are now engaged in living in a way that would please the Lord and the result of that is that sin is exposed, okay? And so the the picture here is this. What happens when you walk into a room that's dark? You flip on a light. What happens when you flip on that light? You can see where you're walking. We all understand that. But we're called to expose sin for what it really is. Adultery is sin. Drunkenness is sin. Lying is sin. 
Materialism is sin. Neglecting our children is sin. Stealing is sin. Disobeying God's clear instructions on any matter is sin that will lead to conflict, disappointment, and judgment. And the point of pointing out, or our lives pointing out these things as sin, is not to condemn necessarily the behavior, but it is to expose it for what it is. So adultery is not simply having an affair. Right? These are, there are words our culture uses to soften what is actually taking place. This exposing of shameful things done in secret is not necessarily the result of calling believers out for what they are doing, but is the result of consistent, God-centered, Christ-pleasing living in the context of darkness. Okay? That kind of life will naturally expose things done in secret for what they really are. But the darkness won't be exposed if the light doesn't know what it's talking about. If the light doesn't know what it's talking about, then it has no capacity to even discern. So this light needs to be fed and aware. And sadly, there are many Christians that don't have a handle of what God's word says in his word about the sin around them and the sin in their own hearts. And when that is true, then they'll tend to live their lives out of guidelines, I might want to say Christian cultural norms, um, rather than out of the very word of God that they are living you know, and breathing and, and, and meditating on and feeding on. And it's so easy to fall into that trap, isn't it? Well, our church believes X, Y, and Z. And it's good, churches should have standards and positions and, and clear expectations of, of this is what God's word says. But it really should be, you know, I am, I'm convinced because of God and what he says in his word that this is true. And that is where we all need to be Bereans. This is where we all need to be people who are studying the word of God. At the same time, we recognize that there are what we call borrowed convictions. What I mean by that is as people are young in the Lord, they're leaning on those who are mature in the Lord to say, hey, you know, what's, what's going on here? I don't completely understand it. And wisdom for that mature person would be, hey, listen, you know what, hold off on that. You may not completely understand it, but let me, let me allow you to understand that yeah, God would not, would not really uh, shine his face on that. And, and over time, you'll begin to see that as we open up his word. And so you lean on someone else who has a greater capacity to, 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 to grapple with God's word. There's a place for that. We need that. Those who are mature need to guide those who are growing in the Lord. But we all need to come to the place where these are becoming things that we are holding to because we see it in God's word. And when, we are, when we're living simply based on some, some guidelines or some, some Christian cultural norms, we will be very susceptible to the deceitful words of darkness that wants to pursue shameful ways. And sadly, friends, these things creep up in the church and they become norms in the church. And the church loses its power. It loses its influence because it looks just like the world around it. So if you're caught up in the world's thinking that says you need to be a little bit more open-minded, a little more non-judgmental, a little more tolerant, then our light will burn dimly and the sinful and unfruitful deeds of darkness will not be exposed. When our light shines in the classroom or in the office or at the grocery store or at the hairdresser or even in the church, 
we must be willing to risk being called negative, judgmental, narrow-minded, bigoted, even hateful. That is just the darkness speaking. Now, the conduct of the children of light will be a beacon to others revealing the evil deeds of those who are darkness. So it's a call to, to expose. It is also a call to transform. And this is where we, we need to see that in order to get to transformation, there must be an exposure. Look at verse 13, but when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. We get that. For anything that becomes visible is light. So verse 13 is really a comfort as well as a motive for walking as children of light, seeking to please the Lord through discernment because it tells us that our shining in the darkness does two things. First of all, it makes everything visible. Now one of the joys on our trip to Bolivia um, was taking Dave Reinigal with us. Dave is a gifted handyman around the house. And the first day, he comes in the room and says, you know, the, the light bulbs they have here, they have some you know, watts and ohms, and he starts using all these words, and he lost me at light bulb, right? I mean, you know, all these electrical things. And, and for, the, for the next week or so in, in Santa Cruz, Dave is bouncing around the house, fixing lights, changing lights, putting new light fixtures in. In particular, in the kitchen, he put one over the, the sink, and Medi was like, yay! All right, because he understands the whole point of light. But the point is that light then, when it is when it's working, exposes, reveals things, allows us to walk carefully and clearly. Why? Because everything is visible. And for those who are in darkness, that is not a good thing. At least they don't think it is. But when their shameful deeds which really ought not to be spoken of, are revealed and, 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 and visible because of the light, there is the possibility that in making it visible, that, that that visible thing now becomes light. So that's kind of what's going on here. It makes everything visible. Secondly, it makes that which has been made visible a candidate for light. In other words, those who are in darkness, who are darkness, who are living lifestyles that reflect all those things that Paul has been talking about, when, when, when they are exposed to the light, they are now visible, and with that visibility, with the gospel shining on them now, because the light has come through those who are children of light, the possibility now of that gospel breaking forth into that life is realized. That that which once was darkness now may become light. Now let me remind you of verse eight. And verse eight says, you were once what? Darkness, but now you are light. Why? Because the light of the gospel shine upon you. And now, by virtue of us being light and discerning what pleases the Lord and living that out in the context of darkness, our living as children of light not only exposes darkness for what it really is, it is also the means by which 
gospel transformation can take place. Walking as children of light, friends, is the avenue for evangelism. And it's an avenue that is marked by character of growth in Christ and determining to follow his will that then produces, at times, according to God's plan and his purposes and his providence, light where there is darkness. And I want to be a part of that. And I think you want to be a part of that too. And so Paul is calling the Ephesian believers to be that light. Now notice what he says at the end here with this saying. This may be a, a, a paraphrase of Isaiah chapter 60 verse 1. It may be um, a, a, a hymn that was used in the early church uh, baptism, some people think. We're not exactly sure, but we know that it is in God's word, therefore it, it is God's word, and, and the application is very clear. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. David Helm reminds us of the implications of this verse. He says, It's possible to be slumbering in the light and even to be well regarded by others in the church, especially by, the, by others who are in the same state. He says it's possible to be asleep and appear awake. It's possible to pray while asleep, mouthing the phrases to others. He says it's possible to sing a hymn without being awake to the words. It's possible to walk while asleep and end up in harm's way. It's possible to live a dreamy life of unreality in the netherland of inaction. And friends, it is possible to be a part of a church that that seeks to have the gospel as its center, to have Christ as its focus, and still be asleep. So what what is he calling us to? He's saying, wake up. You know, wake up, believer. Wake up, person in darkness. I think there could be two applications here. And wake up, and when you wake up, you need to get up. All right, it's time to walk. And then the last thing there would be stay up. Notice what it says again, all right? Look at that, look at that verse. Awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. You are that light. He is reflecting his light through you. Stay up. Be the light in the midst of that darkness. Friends, this is what we are called to do, to live our lives in the context of darkness, to be light, to shine, and to do it for the glory of God. Let me leave you with three concluding thoughts. Three things to ponder, I think, as we, as we wrap this all together. Number one, we must be intentional before we can be influential. You must be intentional. We can't say, well, I want to reach the world, but not be intentional to walk in the light and to be discerning to please the Lord. That takes place first. So our character and being conformed to what pleases the Lord 
is the means by which we get to the place where we can say we are light that is effective, that is impactful. So I encourage you, be intentional before you are influential. Secondly, we must be children of light who are willing to submit to the lordship and authority of Christ as he is revealed in his word. In other words, if he says something in his word and tells us, stop, don't do it, this violates what pleases me, then as children of light, we should listen, we should believe, and if we're confused, if it's difficult, we should trust him because he knows what's best. Or if he says, do this, then we ought to do it. Not in our own strength, but in the strength of the Holy Spirit, through the power of the gospel, which enables us then to fight through all those things that may, we may struggle with, but we can be obedient to what he says. So we listen to his lordship and his authority that he has revealed in his word. And friends, that's not easy. It's a challenge for all of us. And finally, I think there's a tone here that's worth saying. We must be gentle, patient, merciful, and kind as we are light. But clear, bold, and truthful with God's word. The world stereotype of a Bible believer (laughs) should not be who we are. This kind of Bible-thumping, hammering, obnoxious kind of a person. We need to believe what we believe with passion, but with kindness and gentleness and mercy, but not giving any room and standing firm on the truth because those to whom we are ministering are in blindness. I mean, they're they're in darkness. They can't see. They're confused. And so we should have compassion, not anger. We should have understanding and patience, trusting that God will use his word providentially to accomplish his purposes here, now, for his glory. Lord, help us today. First of all, to be thankful (laughs) that you would call us children of light. Just even that phrase, even that idea is overwhelming because we are so undeserving of that. But Lord, it comes with a great responsibility. And Lord, this morning we have been challenged through your word with that. Help us now to be mindful and faithful, Lord, to do what you've called us to do. For some of us, we may need to go home and and wrestle with some things. We may be on the brink of, of making decisions that would clearly violate your will, would not please you but in our stubbornness we want what we want. Lord, I ask that your Holy Spirit would, would counsel and guide us. 
Lord, there may be some who are, who are wrestling with, with trusting you, Lord, through, through a difficulty or through some kind of a struggle that they're facing right now where it just seems hard to, to, to please you. They, they, they know what you say, but, Lord, to, to, to follow you, Lord, is, is difficult. And I, I just plead, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would give us strength. Give those people, Lord, strength to believe you, to trust you. And not just to see with the eyes of this world, but, Lord, to see with spiritual eyes that there is something greater going on and that you are worthy to be obeyed. We thank you, Lord. We thank you that we have an understanding, wise, heavenly Father who loves us and cares about us, who's revealed himself to us through his word. May we now walk in a manner that is worthy of our calling. In your name, amen.